Hello, and welcome to the Music Teacher Coffee Talk podcast. I'm Carrie. And I'm Tanya. We are both elementary music teachers who love to talk shop, preferably over a steaming cup of coffee. This is episode 125. Today, we are talking with our friend and fellow Kodai-inspired music teacher, Becca Dellinger, about resetting the school year with realistic expectations. We'll also talk about our highs and lows from this teaching week, discuss some ideas in our Know Better, Do Better segment, share a work smarter, not harder teacher tip, and in our CODA section, we'll give some specific recommendations of our favorite things we are enjoying in and out of the music room. So grab your beverage of choice and let's get started. And it's time for us to talk about our highs and lows. Carrie, do you want to tell us about teaching or a high or a low from your time away from teaching? Um. I had a pretty not exciting winter break, which is probably what my family needed. Like everybody got sick at different times and we didn't have any trips to go anywhere, which I guess is good considering all the travel nightmares people were experiencing over winter break. So I don't really have any exciting stories about winter break other than we just kind of relaxed as a family, which was good. Um, I was going to give myself some props because, you know, we're allowed to do that from time to time, right? Um, so my high is that I was very proud of myself for buckling down and getting some stuff done before we went on winter break. So our district decided, um, gosh, like at the beginning of this year to add two teacher work days to our calendar. So the week of Christmas, Monday and Tuesday, we originally were supposed to have students and then they decided for elementary schools that we were not going to have students those days and have work days instead. And as um, much as I was kind of like, well, that's silly, I'm not going to get anything done. I really forced myself to get a lot done. And I'm so happy that I did because when I came back after the break, we had one work day before students came, which was good. But um, I was definitely happy. I got a lot of stuff done before break as far as resetting my planning for the second half of the year, which is kind of our topic for today. Um, updating my yearly plans and making sure my lesson plans for uh, my first three days of, of coming back we're done um, and also getting a lot of stuff done for my choir so I'm going to be doing choir again the second half of the year but I'm allowing students to join choir now so this is kind of like a reset for choir too so getting permission slips ready to go and t-shirt order forms ready to go like I got all that stuff ready to go and as much as while I was doing it I just was thinking all I want to do is be on break right now I, I forced myself to do it and I'm just happy that I did so it's a reminder for myself in the future anytime we have <laughs> those work days, especially before a break, to not waste them and to use them because me right now is very thankful to me three weeks ago. Yeah. Do something your future self will thank you for. Totally. For sure. Totally. Yeah, How about that, you, Tanya? Um, same. We did go and travel during the, um, the winter break, but it was just within Colorado. So we didn't experience flight stuff and um, uh, yeah, and had some much needed slow down time and yes the two days that we had at the very end I also had to force myself to um, do what I needed to do I'm starting recorders tomorrow with third graders so I had to force myself to get all that stuff organized and I am glad tomorrow I'll be really glad but I'm glad that I did that because this year I'm going to be um, all the kids buy recorders and this is the first year that I am having colored recorders 
and the choice of colored recorders. So I had to go and sort all of the colors so that I don't have, um, once everyone picks a recorder, I'm really nervous that like kids are going to gravitate towards one specific color and I won't be able to fulfill that. So I'm mixing up batches um, when I hand them out to classes. So this is it. You know, you, you have to pick from this group of recorders. So anyway, I'm glad I got all that done. But I would say that my high is actually for when the kids came back to my room. Um, most years in the past, I have taken some time during that first lesson back to review rules and expectations and procedures, um, not in a boring way, but, you know, in kind of a dry way. And I decided not to do that this year and see what happened. Um, I did do a tiny bit of lip service of like, okay, um, who can tell me, raise a hand if you can tell me what you do when you need to go to the bathroom. Yeah. <laughs> Raise a hand if you can tell me. Like I spent maybe three minutes with that kind of procedural stuff, but I did not go into a whole, here's the expectations, here's the consequences, here's the positive consequences, here's the negative. I did not do that. I tried to just fold that into uh, what we were doing. So, oh, we're getting up, we're playing the singing game. And, oh, we remember that we respect other people's personal space when we're doing this kind of movement here. Like, I just tried really hard to not stop the world right. to do that. And it went very well. And honestly, I, I'm i not going to credit myself as much as I credit just the students. Right. Right. They did a great job um, just coming back and was very they were very happy to see me i was very happy to see them so that went very smoothly and here's hoping that next week will go as smooth smoothly with a whole new bunch of students because um it'll be day one with these new kids but they've already had two days of regular school just not necessarily with me right that's awesome So before we dive into our main theme, we just want to mention an upcoming engagement Tanya and I have. We are going to be presenting a workshop at Simpson College in Iowa in the Des Moines area. And the, uh, oh, the date of this workshop is January 21st, 2023. So coming up real soon. And this is co-sponsored by Simpson College, as well as the Kodai Educators of Iowa. And we are presenting uh, Work Smarter, Not Harder, Bridging Musical Concepts Through Song Literature which is specifically about what we call lovingly call double duty songs songs that you can use to teach more than one concept perhaps even over more than one grade so if you are in the des moines area around january 21st we'd love to see you at simpson college for our presentation yes awesome so for today's main theme, Tanya and I were discussing how we wanted to kind of talk about a January reset and a restart, specifically around planning and, uh, you know, creating those realistic expectations of what to do for the rest of the year. And as luck would have it, we were having a Zoom coffee date with our very good friend, uh, Becca Dellinger, who has been teaching for 15 years as a Kodai certified and inspired teacher. She currently teaches in Frederick County in Virginia. And uh, we were having a Zoom coffee date with 
Becca this morning and she started to ask us some questions about planning. And we said, well, hey, guess what? This is our topic for our podcast today. Can we just go ahead and hit the record button? So this was not something that was planned out, but we appreciate Becca being a part of this conversation because she asked some really great questions that are questions we all ask this time of year, no matter how long you've been teaching, whether you know this is the first couple of years for you or you've been teaching a while like Becca has and like we have, you know, and just really thinking about what is realistic. We all, you know, those of us who have taken Kodai levels or even have been to Kodai workshops, we kind of have this expectation for ourselves as far as what planning should look like and where our students should be in the sequence. And, you know, sometimes we have to really reevaluate those expectations with the amount of time we see our students, which is something that Becca talks about in this in this conversation. So um, a really great conversation just between three music education friends about uh, giving each other ideas for planning and organization and things for the new year. Totally. Hey, Becca, how's it going? It's good. How are you guys? Okay. Now ask us again what you just asked us or say what you said. Okay. I said, I said, ladies, I'm really struggling right now because I feel like every week I am reinventing the wheel when I'm sitting down to plan. And I've been a Kodai teacher for a lot of years. <laughs> Been a code I teach it for a lot of years. I have beautiful concept plans. I do yearly plans. And still, every time I sit down to plan, I feel like I'm looking here, oh, in, uh, in this book, or I got to find something new on YouTube, or I got to look in the music play online for something new and fresh, or I'm just, I'm, I feel like I'm all over the place and it's taking up way too much of my time. I, I totally hear you. Um, I I feel like I go through that a little bit as well, and I have to rein myself in and uh, don't feel bad. Samesies. Yeah. Yeah. So first of all, it's okay. <laughs> it's natural. And I think no matter how much training anybody has had and how long they've been doing it, the thing is, because we teach um, from year to year, Anybody who wants to keep things fresh and exciting is going to feel like that, right? Otherwise, you could open last year's lessons and go with that. But I don't know about you, but every time I do that, because I do, I open last year's lessons and I peek mm -hmm. at them and I go, yeah, but, you know, I don't think that this is relevant anymore. Or like, I know that my specific second graders now would really appreciate more movement. Like this was, this is really what makes you a good teacher is that you're thinking about the students that you have right now and you want them to grow and you have in mind where they're at, where you want them to go and what they can do. So this is honestly a mark of somebody who should be teaching. Mm. That That's a really fair point because one of the things that I'm always touting is how fortunate we are to teach a spiral curriculum, that we move our curriculum with our students, right? Yeah. So if they're not if they're not ready for a certain concept, it's okay that we delay it a little, or you know, because the last couple of years have been the last couple of years, and yeah, uh, COVID has messed with all of the planning and 
my kids are all over the place. Like rhythmically, they're where they're supposed to be, but melodically, they're behind. And so plans that I've maybe used in the past are not aligning because because they're I'm because I'm trying to make it work for my kids. Right. I'm doing what's best for kids. Right, Tanya? (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And, you know, on another note, and I know this is heresy, but for the past couple of years, I have not been good with yearly plans. Mm -hmm. I have had more success in the last couple of years with shorter range plans. Like right now being January, I'm really looking at from here till the end of the school year. And I'm not even looking at anything I might've written down that I wanted to happen as far as a yearly plan goes. Right. So I'm better on a shorter range plan than a yearly plan. Because here's the thing. If I look and see what I aspired to back in August and where my kids are, especially since I'm at a brand new school and I am, I've been getting to know the kids and their skills. Like I'll just be kicking myself like, Oh no, we are really not at this concept. So I don't even, I wouldn't even suggest, well, I mean, Carrie will say something different. That's good. That's great. I'm just I wouldn't to- even look at my long year, my yearly plan at this point. I mean, I'm not, is what I'm saying. I'm not looking at my year plan. I know exactly where each grade level is. And I am kind of doing like a snapshot and I've written up a document for each grade. Like, okay. I know I've got six weeks left of the school year. And when I say six weeks, understand, I don't mean literally six weeks. What I mean is that I see kids for five days in a row for a week. And then all of those groups of kids, those classes go away for two weeks. And then I see the next group. So when I look at it that way, I know I have six weeks left with every class. And that six weeks is five days, but sometimes less because of holidays and all of that. Um, And so I'm just thinking about these six weeks, where we're at, where we want to go, any concerts or programs that are happening. And I'm building from here and I'm for, I'm not looking at my year plan, but Carrie, you should say something different because I know you want to. Yeah. So um, I'm a year plan person. I I need year plans because I need to see it visually. I need to see, okay, first week back in January, here's what we're doing. But, and I give myself permission to change those year plans all the time. So it's not something that I write at the beginning of the year and print and have posted somewhere and say, this is it. It's a, it's on a Google sheet to Google spreadsheet. And I just am constantly cutting and pasting and shifting and moving. And I had that, you know, hard reality. We had a couple of planning days before winter break, which that was really hard to plan before winter break because I just really wanted to go away. But I really forced myself to sit down and have that like difficult talk with myself where I went, okay, Carrie, it's okay. Then in first grade, we're probably not going to get to law this year. So I just took it out of my yearly plan and I scooted everything down and I'm giving myself that permission to say law is going to happen in second grade, which it always ends up happening in second grade anyways. But I always try, you know, it's like I set the goal at the beginning of the year that this is where I want my concept plan to be or my yearly plans to be as far as where the concepts are going to lie but things change and that's okay with me so you know different strokes for different folks but that's what works well for me yeah and the other thing 
Becca, you were mentioning that, you know, you want to stay fresh and, and all of that is for several grades. I like to do kind of like a formula and it might, I might change it up. Like right now, I want to make sure that this coming up week, that in addition to focusing on like, so and me with first grade, because that's where we're at, my first graders, that I want to make sure that they move. And so every lesson this week is going to include a structured dance for lack of better, you know, not just not a singing game, but a structured dance, because I want to make sure that we bring that in. Um, So when I talk about a formula for kindergarten, first and second grade, I'm making sure these are the things on my checklist there that everybody does a little soloing every day. And it's just like in a roll call that we move every day for this upcoming unit. Um, And then there's a book every day. That's like my formula for this coming week, because the the book, the reading to kids, that is like reestablishing connection and community with my students, right? And I might take that formula into like, you know, a few weeks from now when I'm doing my, what I call unit eight or the eighth week that I have kids. So that helps me get organized so that I'm not just like spitballing all the things. And then you said your concept plans you've got. So I know like, okay, first grade, we're practicing Ta and Titi, which we got, which was presented and we started practicing early practice right before winter break. We were working on Ta and Titi, we presented it. Now we're bringing in So and Me. And so I know I'm practicing Ta and Titi. We're prepping So and Me. Oh, excuse me, so sorry. Um, and also I wanna make sure I have that. Everybody solos a little bit. We do a movement, we do a book. Like that's, that's, a, that's a lot of stuff for one lesson. Mm-hmm. So, but one of the things that I think is, that some people will identify with that um, you, the amount of time that you see your kids is drastically different than the amount of time that I see my kids. And that also is often really frustrating to me because in the, you're talking about what your plans are for the next, for the rest of the year and what, the amount of time is that you're seeing those kids for the rest of the year is more than I see my kids in the entire year. Well, that, then you've got to scale it down, right? Yeah. Do you know how many times you see your kids for the rest of the year? For the rest of the year? Well, yeah. I see kids 36 times in total for the school year. If oh. all the stars align. Um, so you count on... I usually count on 30 to 31 times seeing my kids all year long. So then the hard decision ends up being, Mm -hmm. it's not that you're going to necessarily push the concepts back that far. It's not like you want to be teaching Ta and Titi at the end of second grade, right? Like just because developmentally they're ready for it probably. But then I would think for you, it's teaching the same concepts with less song literature and just less prep time and less practice time at the end. But how can you still give them those valid experiences and let them? Yeah, absolutely. And that's something that I've really had to embrace over the last couple of years um, was letting go of that idea of so much song literature. I'm even 
um, I'm even contemplating the fact of using only one or two songs for prep. Um, that's okay. Yeah. For presentation because, because I don't, I just feel like I don't have time to get to everything that we want to do, to have listening, to have dancing, to, you know, talk about instruments of the orchestra for heaven's sakes. <laughs> well, and that totally makes sense. And the thing is, okay. In when, when I'm teaching like level one and, and inevitably students always ask, okay, how long do I prep or how many songs do I do for prep? It depends. It always depends. It depends, first of all, on your students. And it also depends on the specific concept, because as we've mentioned, melodic concepts are going to need more reinforcement, right, than rhythmic concepts. It depends on how many times you see your students. And it doesn't mean that, oh, well, you know, Becca's handicapped. She's doing less. It's not it's not like that at all. I mean, I see my students, if I work it out, like between 55 and 60 times, 60 class for the entire year, right? So yeah. of course it's going to look different. It looks different because of all of those things. And most definitely there are concepts with like my groups of students that I know I'm doing half note right now with second grade. That goes quickly. That will go quickly. I can do half note in three classes with two songs. And then we're, we, I might spend a little more time practicing it, but like, it depends. So you, and I know you know which one of those things, like which concepts can go quicker with less material. And so, I don't know, maybe as a jumping off point, like you said, you had priorities of like, you do want them to move and maybe there are some instruments of the orchestra type of thing. Like maybe you write down your priorities for each grade level at this point. That's funny you say that because that's what I do. <laughs> <laughs> of course. That's what I do. And then, and then, um, I don't know. I feel like I'm not, I judge myself really harshly. Like I'm not living up to the expectations of what I'm supposed to be doing. Right. According to who? According to the Kodai police. <laughs> okay. Well, you know what? There are no Kodai police. I know. Everybody. everybody... Mostly, mostly I do it to myself. Right. Mostly I do it to myself. I but, know. You know, but one of the other things that I, which popped into my head was when I was talking about doing like one or two songs and I look at it and I'm like, oh, but which ones do I choose? Cause I really like that song and I really right. want them to experience that song. And, but this is the best one for teaching that concept. And so now I'm looking at which is the best one for teaching that concept. Let's do this one for practice because I still want them to really do this song cause it's super fun. Um, but it's, I think that's, that's one of the great things is that when we fall in love with the songs and we don't want to, we don't want to let them go either. Yeah. Let her that's go, a go. way to keep it fresh from year to year too. I mean, you were talking about that and a, a lot of it is not that we don't like the song. Maybe we're just like sick of it because I mean, in your case, you teach a lesson, what, five times because you have five classes per grade level. Is that right, Becca? Yes. So yeah, I mean, by the time you teach it the fifth time, you're like, oh my gosh, I can't 
snail snail anymore or whatever it is. So then it's just a matter of keeping yourself like a database, like, well, this year I didn't do snail yeah. snail with first grade, but then next year I'll bring it back, you know, and that keeps it fresh for you. And I was thinking about this too, when you're talking about keeping things fresh, because I think it's important that we remember that, yes, we want to keep things fresh for ourselves. It's important that we preserve our own musicianship in that way. And we want to make sure we're teaching songs that we like, but it's all fresh to the kids. It really is. Like, it might feel like we've taught this song a million bajillion times because we have, but to the kids, it's new and it's still fun. And there are some years where I'm like, oh, I just don't want to do this song again, but I just don't have time or energy to find a new one. So I'm just going to go ahead and do it. And then the kids end up loving it. So for me, sometimes I feel that during when I'm actually writing my plans, like, oh, I cannot believe I'm going to do BB Bumblebee again. But then lo and behold, it's like their favorite thing and they love it. And when you see the kids loving it, then that brings new energy back to you too. So just, yeah. you know, when you're writing your plans, I'm saying you to all of us, the collective you that we remember that it is new to the kids unless you've done it from one grade to the next which is a different situation yeah and then also question is it the actual song or chant or is it the activity can you change up the activity and yeah. would that give it new life for you or for the students yeah those are all valid points and as far for as sure. like choosing which ones i think well i mean you, you usually know which are the biggest hits with kids. Start with that. What are the kids going to love the most? Start with that. And then what do you love the most? That's next. And a lot of times it's the same, isn't it? You know? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. What do you guys, how do you, I'm, I know you have done podcasts about this before, but how do you tackle the, I have resources in this place and resources. So I have resources in my Google Drive and I have resources in my Dropbox and I have resources in this binder and and keeping track of all of that, I'm not so good at, which also takes time. Yes, I can tell you the Kodai instructor, instructor answer and then the personal Tanya answer. <laughs> Go. <laughs> the Kodai instructor instructor answer is, well, that should be all recorded in your retrieval. In your retrieval, you can use, um, you can put a new column in your retrieval. And when I say retrieval, I'm talking about a giant index that one keeps that lists all the songs that you have in your song collection that you might use. So in your retrieval, you can have a column that has, oh, here's a link to a video of this song being done, you know, very well. Or here is a link to a book that ties in. Like, so in a perfect world, you would have all of that stuff in your retrieval so that when you look up BB Bumblebee, then you see that there's a link to this B book and that there's a link to this really cool rhythm reading that somebody made that includes bees. And you would see all that, like if you had all that. I don't have time or the will during the school year to write all that down, like in a retrieval. So it goes back to another conversation we were having about needing an assistant. <laughs> exactly. Well, so, and, and so, like I said, it 
if I was, what I really should be doing is like during the summer, I should take a little time here and there to do those things, you know, to go through slide decks that I might've used in a lesson and go, oh yeah, here's that awesome play along video that relates completely to this song that we do and like, and and do that and, and like link everything. Wouldn't that be lovely? Just have that done. Um, but it has to be personal. The other thing is like somebody might be saying, oh, well, I'm going to make one to rule them all and people will pay me for this fantastic database. That doesn't work. It's got to be from you, the teacher, right? Because Carrie might really love such and such pay- play along and I might not or whatever. It has to be a per. it's very personal to you, the teacher. Um, honestly, and this is not a good answer, but my real coming from Tanya answer is that my brain at this point is a database and I have a lot of that stuff. If someone like quizzed me and I'm not saying, and this is just because I've been doing it for a long time. If someone mm-hmm. sat me down and said, you're not allowed to look at any books or resources, give me five low law songs and then three activities that you can extend it. I could do that just because I've been teaching for so long. But there's new things that come up all the time. Um, So like I said, I don't have a great answer. I have what I think I should do and then what I actually do. But I will tell you that I think I rediscover things all the time that I have forgotten about. Yeah. Right? Like, oh, yeah, I used to use this book for Lola. I totally forgot. And that's why I really should be putting it in my retrieval. And if I was really on top of things, like I said, I take some time in the summer to like specifically go through lesson plans and or slide decks and record that all within a song retrieval. I really think that would be a fantastic tool to have. And if you are listening or unclear about what a song index looks like and how you get that going, I would say go take your Kodai levels, of course. (laughs) Yeah, similar to what you're saying, Tanya, I'm a big fan of like, in my concept plan is where I often link to things, not necessarily in my retrieval. So in my concept plan for, you know, first grade Tantiti, BB Bumblebee, I can link to this activity that I do, whether it's a digital activity or if it's a paper activity or something that I've created, I just put in the box this visual activity. And I know it's like shorthand for me that I know that I have this smart board file or whatever that I always. Oh, and that's smarter too, because you're probably going to look at your concept lens. Yeah. Like I put SB and that means smart board. So it's like, you know, it doesn't have to be some long, you know, thing for someone else. It's just for me. The times where that's difficult is when I have a student teacher and then I have to go through and tell them what all of my little, you know, abbreviations mean. But, um, Yeah. And then just like in general, like in all aspects of my life, I'm a big like categorizer folder person. So like in my Google Drive, I have a folder for every grade level. And then in those folders is where everything I've I've purchased off TPT or I've made myself that's a Google thing goes in there. But then I have some things that don't go on Google, like smartboard files that I'm still using. So those are on my hard drive on my laptop. But then on my laptop, I have a folder for every single thing. And then I have some physical worksheets that I've had since who knows when. And in my filing cabinet in my room, I have a folder for every grade level. And that's where those things lie. So just folders in every organizational system. I just I think it's unrealistic for us to ever think that there will be one place where everything lives. It's just not going to happen. So I'm just making sure that in every place, whether it's digital, hard drive on a cloud, 
that I have folders, even on YouTube, I have playlists where I've organized, here are my play alongs for first grade, here's my play alongs for second grade, here's a whole playlist of instruments of the orchestra videos that I love to show when I do that with my kids. Here's a playlist of just awesome performances that I like to show my kids just for the fun of it. You know, so I, I'm just really big about creating lists and playlists that helps my brain so I can find it later. And it's not just all in the, the big sphere of it somewhere. You know what I mean? Yeah. That's a great idea uh, with folders. And I've started that and to, you know, limited success because I don't do a good job of keeping up. What I've told myself during the school year is like, okay, as I do these things, I'm going to make sure that this is put, you know, in this specific spreadsheet or in this folder. (laughs) And then I end up not doing it because that the thing is, it's a productivity thing, of course, when you sit down to lesson plan, stay on track. And I have to like refocus myself all the time because I will sit down and I will like start planning for a specific grade. And then 10 minutes later, I notice that I've gone down a rabbit hole with collecting, you know, books titles that relate to winter that are good for sewing me and on TT. Like I can find myself going off and thinking, oh, well, I'm doing productive work because I'm, I'm making these collections and I'm putting everything in one place. That's different work than lesson planning. Right. Yeah. So for lesson planning, I really have to keep, I have to keep on myself and go, okay, are you really writing down what's going to happen on Tuesday or are you organizing crap? And we have to be careful when with like doom scrolling on social media and in Teachers Pay Teachers and on Pinterest and all those places, because I I get it, like we'll look for one resource and all of a sudden one hour later, we're just like scrolling and we're all of a sudden so overwhelmed at how much stuff is out there. And it's great stuff, but it's just not stuff I need right now. So like, I always try to remember like that bookmark or save for later or whatever place you can click to like give yourself that permission to go, I want to find this again later, but I don't need it right now. And I don't want to force myself to use this resource just because it looks like a cool resource. So that's the other thing is like, when you're doing your lesson plans, go with what you already have, (laughs) start there. And then if you're like, oh, I just really need one more activity for such and such, and I'm kind of stumped, then look for that one activity and then turn it off. Don't (laughs) start doom scrolling. I I find myself doom scrolling. (laughs) Yeah, Carrie, it's funny that you mentioned that um, because it reminds me of how I used to go to workshops and sessions, right? And this, I have gotten myself out of this habit and I'm I'm proud because it was work. Um, I would go to Oak, say, and go to all these fabulous sessions and get these great, we did these, oh, we did this fantastic activity with so-and-so and we were sitting on the floor and and building these melodies and I'm going to do this like right when, get, when we get back because I want to remember it. Here's the thing. If you are always doing that, are you really teaching what you, what you know the kids need at that moment? Who is that for? Are you teaching it for the students? Are you teaching it so that you will remember? Like, is there a way that you can like archive that and go, I'm going to come back to this when we actually are doing low law, right? So that's something that I was doing earlier in my career that I no longer do. I no longer go to a Saturday Saturday workshop and then take everything for a test drive the next week. And I tell you, my first three years, that's what I survived on, was going to an ORF workshop, 
and taking all that stuff and then plugging it for the next few weeks as much as I could and then going to the next. I can't live like that. It's not good for me. It's not good for the students. It's not what they need. So you got to find a system where you can say, this is awesome stuff, but I'm not going to use it tomorrow. Right. I have a tab on my song retrieval that's like songs to add later (laughs) or activities to add later. So if I go to a workshop or I have something in my notes or even I saw a blog post or something about it, I'll I'll stick it on there, like where I found it, where to find it later, what concept it's going to be good for. And then when I am having those moments where I'm writing my concept plans or I'm reviewing my concept plans, I'm like, you know, I really just want something different for this concept. I go to that tab and I look for those songs and I'm like, oh, yeah, these aren't songs that are in my concept plans now, but or even in my song, my song retrieval now, but songs that I wanted to consider for future future use yeah that's helped terry you're so digitally organized that's how my brain works i i I do have i have folders that i have created by concepts not by grade level yeah um i do that (laughs) but true confessions ready true confessions most of my concept plans are still on paper (laughs) but that's not that's okay you know that that's fine like most of my song collection is on paper it originated on paper and a lot of the songs of my song collection you know i it's just paper and so what that's for you well, you just can't, you know, put a hyperlink in your three ring binder for that activity on right. your paper concept plan, right? Yeah. yeah. So, well, I mean, that it, it makes sense. And I think that speaking as someone who has been teaching and for long enough that when I started, the internet didn't exist. Yeah. And so I had a, you know, one of those uh, paper planners and I did everything in colored ink. If it's blue, it's first grade. Mm-hmm. If it's green, it's second. Like, so, I mean, this transition, and I know, I know it's been years and years and years and that maybe I should have gotten it together by now, but I still have notebooks upon notebooks of things that are only on paper and will they ever exist digitally as far as like me using them as planning materials? Probably not. That's an overwhelming task that um, I've thought about, like, maybe I should just like stick them all in a copy machine and have them PDF'd, but that's fraught with issues, but that's just the reality of the situation is that I don't know if in teaching and education, they did much to, when I say they, anybody did much to help us teachers move from being in a paper world and no digital and no internet into a everything's on the cloud now kind of situation. And so I don't know, call it an excuse because I'm old. I I mean, I, I have a lot of things digitally, but so what? Like, that's just, I'm a some a teacher who has had to bridge that and let's be realistic on what I can do with my time. Am I going to plan for what's happening 
tomorrow in third grade? Or am I going to sit down and look at this resource from 15 years ago and put it in my digital organization? Like, just let it go. Yep. But that's why I have paper, you know. It's about Mm -hmm. finding what works for you because I write, I do type my lesson plans on like a Google Doc and I try to keep them to one page because I just write a lot of abbreviations for me. They're not like a big, long scripted thing like we learned to do in our Kodai levels. That's not the reality of our day-to-day plans. But I do type a plan with little transition Mm -hmm. moments and all that, keep it to one page, and then I put it in a binder because then after I've taught it to class number one, I write down because inevitably I always change something and I do something differently. So then I actually write with pencil on that paper what I did differently so that I'll remember to do it that way with the other two classes or else I get all confused on what I've done with each group. So, you know, there are some things that work well for me digitally and I love digital things for most things, but then there are some things I still want to actually physically write and that's okay. It's just what system works well for you and sometimes you have to tweak it and change it over the years, but I will say concept plans digitally has been a good change for me. I'm glad that I put those digitally because of what we're saying, like being able to hyperlink and kind of have everything in one spot. And then, like I said, having a student teacher or someone come and observe me, I can kind of have that resource that I can share if I need to, you know, that kind of stuff. But again, it's like Tanya said, it's what's worth your time. What do you want to maybe do? during the summer to kind of get yourself organized, but don't feel the pressure to do that right now in January. Right. Oh yeah. Right. Right. I found, I also found something interesting over the last few weeks, uh, had a little come to Jesus moment with myself. I realized that um, with so much emphasis on presenting tech lessons over the last couple of years, whether that's presenting them, um, for um, asynchronous learning or making videos or whatever, that I'm spending a lot more time prettying up my lessons on some Google Slides that I never used to do, right? Like, oh, I have to have a, a pretty picture for, uh, for whatever song we're doing, right? Uh, I got to put a frog on there because I'm doing frog in the meadow. I got <laughs> yeah. to find a hot chocolate picture for bate bate, right? Yeah. And I had to sit myself down and say, hey, these are not the important things. Because I had a very, uh, a very wise level three teacher tell me, Carrie, that if you're spending more time on the... Uh, creating the thing than actually teaching it it's probably taking too much time right smart teacher I know (laughs) so smart she was no it's true yeah I've gotten away from daily google slides for that reason I was doing it during covid I thought it was a good way to kind of get myself organized and all that. And I've, I've, I've abandoned that because I found it was taking way too much time. I have like individual files and I use Smartboard files, but specifically links Smartboard files for my new Mimeo board. It's like our new program, but I have a file for each song that I teach. So then at the beginning of the lesson, I just pull up all of the files for that song and I'm not going to use every slide for every song because I might be just focusing on one aspect of it, but that's what I have. And then I can save it from year to year and I don't have to 
recreate it for every specific lesson that I'm making. Does that make sense? Totally. That's kind of what I jumped on board with in my brain to start off the new year. Instead of creating this huge Google slide thing, I was like, uh, just hyperlink it to the file. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Just make yourself a little agenda with hyperlinks. And then you go to a drunken sailor and then use these slides. It's exactly what I did instead of trying to pretty everything up. I have fallen into that as well, for sure. I have spent too much time. And I think it's like this Instagram world um, and the TPT influence that like really does it to us where we've started to, I don't know, think that that makes the prettier it is, the better a lesson it is. When I have talked to older than me, Kodai teachers who have said, you should be able to teach a lesson without using any visuals necessarily like you should be able to like what what is it about you should be able to have the kids hear the song and ingest and learn the song without showing them the words I mean I know people who are like don't show them the words right away because that makes them rely more on the visual than to really listen right when it comes to putting things on the staff, of course, or reading rhythms, yes, you've got to go visually. But I do know teachers who are like, I would never put the words up there for kids because that takes away their focus on the listening and really internalizing it. As someone who's taught a lot of ELL students, I would yeah. say having words up is important, but I do understand the whole idea of distracting visuals and having too much up there that they don't need. And yeah, I don't want them focusing on the cute frogs if the cute frogs aren't necessarily helping us learn the concept, right? If they're just there to grab the kid's attention, that's fine as long as it doesn't hold their attention. So it's, yeah. if, for me, it's a balance of finding just the right amount of visuals. But then I agree, there are times... I remember there was one year, this was back when I had overhead projectors and I did everything with transparencies, but there was one year that my transparency bulb burnt out in the middle of class and I was like, oh, all right, here we go. And I taught the whole lesson orally and just writing on the whiteboard, like there's nothing wrong with that. That's okay. Mm. (laughs) Yeah. And also you always have to go back to who is it for? Yeah. Are those cute frogs for the kids? Do they care? Or are the cute frogs for the teacher? Right. You know, it's funny, Becca, because just yesterday I was planning for second grade and I went through and I grabbed one of my TPT products that I made. Mm -hmm. That's all about half note and two tied taws. And I went in and for myself and now I've got to put it in the product because it deserves to be there for myself. I went in and I took out all the fun snowflake backgrounds on all of these rhythm slides Because I was like, you know what? That is too much. (laughs) When I put this up there, I do not want them to focus on these ultra cool retro snowflake pattern behind the rhythm. I want them to focus on the rhythm. So I just went in myself and took out all of the backgrounds on this TPT product that I put on in my store. And now I need to update my product and go like, okay, well, here it is without all that hoo-ha. Right. But does that sell if I just had that? I would buy. And I didn't have the cute snowflake background. I'll probably just have to re download it. I probably already have bought it. (laughs) But that's 
true. I mean, when I'm looking at stuff on TPT, because I do buy people stuff on TPT, there's just yeah. times where I don't feel like I'm making it myself. I steer away from the thing. I mean, we've talked many times about the very large-headed children icons or pictures and how they bother me but like in general like i just want things very simple and very clean because like you said who is it for and in the end does it become more distracting um there was a product that i had once and it was actually a smart board product that i got from the smart board file and every time i would flip the page the kids would be like oh look it's a blah 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 and whatever that little cartoon character was had nothing to do with the concept and all it did was distract them every time i flipped the page to a new page so I'm like yeah simple's better yeah and like it depends like when i do a little musication thing and at the very end you know the the little conductors move towards each other and wave that's fine who cares oh yeah like but you know you got to balance that um so i don't know if you've noticed speaking going back to organizing um on youtube i also have playlists like you do carrie yeah um but they because they've changed their their policies about videos for children there are a lot of videos right now that you can't save to a playlist have you so i'm like copying the link and pasting it in a lesson plan because i can't save it in a playlist anymore and then i'm saying to myself how am i gonna remember that it where it was later yeah, that's right. That is definitely a thing. So again, that's when I, I do put a hyperlink in my concept plan. Well, I know this is different. What I started doing this year is I don't have playlists in YouTube, and I really should, but I started building slide decks where I have videos in each slide that are like in the same grade level. And so, you know, when you cut and paste a video in Google Slides, the benefit is you don't get the ads. Right. But then it's just there. And so I haven't had, I haven't come across a problem with saying you can't use this, of course, for for students or, or whatever. Um, and I've used those decks. And this is just this year that I started like putting a deck together that it's not a deck that I'm going to show kids one page after another it's just for me to pull from right. plus it's already it's set idea. up and you're saying you're doing that by grade level or by concept specifically i'm just doing it by grade level i should i should within the grade level do it by concepts but honestly i've just been throwing them in but then you can find it later which is very smart yeah but yeah, beware when you don't Sometimes when you do that, because I noticed this, I was using a deck from like a year ago. I was looking and just pulling things. Um, and then that page wouldn't play the video for some reason. I don't know what happened. And then I had to just, I mean, but I, I had all the information right there. And I just went back to YouTube and recopied the link and then put that video back in the deck and it was fine. So, you know. They might have changed their link for some reason or whatever. Yeah, I'm not sure what what it is, but I had the information to right. to do that. Right. Yeah, I'm totally stealing that idea. I like that video slide deck idea. Yeah. Well, you know, it's interesting because um, this part of the year, I feel like at the end of December, right before we went on break, we did so much stuff where we were looking at the screen. 
that on purpose for this next couple of um, lesson rotations, I am making sure we're not doing looking at the screen stuff. So I'm using my pull out whiteboards with kids writing. I'm using manipulatives more um, because I think they must be sick of it. I'm sick of it. And then I'm thinking, I bet a lot of screen time happened over the break. So let's remember Ooh. that this is music class and not look at the string screen and play the fun boom whacker play along class. Right. I just, I felt like I got too much of that. I gave too much of that at the end of December before we went on break. Cause let's face it. I was tired too. And a brand new March uh, from the Nutcracker musication came out. So of, of course we're going to do that. Right. Right. So I feel like January is like low tech month. Back to basics. <laughs> yeah. Hence the dancing too. Like let's move, let's enjoy music and move to it and get that phrasing and get that form and get that pure enjoyment. I mean, I did Chimes of Dunkirk on Friday with my second graders, which is, you know, a very simple long way set dance that, I, I don't know. Sometimes I think to myself, oh, this is boring. Who cares? They were delighted. It was, it was wonderful. It was joyful. And I kind of, you know, had that moment where I'm like, really? You just love this? This is kind of Boresville. But that's because I've done it a bazillion times. Exactly. Like Carrie was saying, they love trying to, as soon as the song ended, they were like, can we do it again? That that's what you want in January. Well, that's what you want all the time. But, you know, in January, that's what I want. I want them going, oh, yeah, I love being here. We get to do these things that we don't do anywhere else. Yeah. I think just in our society, there's this whole, like, new year, new me, resolutions. <laughs> yeah, clear it all out. Clear out the clutter. Make way for everything new and fresh. And there's some times where we have to just like stop and say tried and true stuff is okay. That's it's tried and true for a reason and it, it works well and we don't have to throw everything out. Can we update things? Can we refresh? Yes, but we don't have to throw everything out just because it's a new year and we, we want things new and sparkly. Sometimes just the good old stuff is, is the best stuff. Here, here. <laughs> Here is our No Better, Do Better segment where we explore something we should know a little bit better and that we can do a little bit better. Carrie? This is just a, a small little thing, but it was a great reminder. So my son was a part of our middle school honor choir festival, which had its concert on Friday night. And so I got to go to that concert. And what I appreciated was the conductor, who is a really great conductor from here in the Colorado area, when she programmed her music, she had a piece that was um, definitely within like a, a spiritual style, um, and she programmed it first on the concert. And it was just that really awesome reminder of, 
you know, it's for a long time. And, you know, I trained in a, in a choral music education program. It was just standard practice to put spirituals as the last piece on a, on a choral concert. And that kind of became like the icing or the fluff or the showstopper kind of piece at the end. And, you know, recently there's been a lot of wonderful music educators who have been for a very good reason calling that practice um, out and in as far as why are we doing that? Why are we taking uh, a genre of music that is based on the, the pain and suffering of others and not to say it shouldn't be programmed and it shouldn't be sung by a wide variety of people, but there has to be the context behind it and there has to be the understanding of where this music came from and then a programming it appropriately in the concert. It's not appropriate to have it be your dessert at the end of your meal of, you know, white Western classical music. So um, one such educator who I'm, I'm sure, I hope many of our listeners are familiar with is Jasmine Fripp, who's known as the passionate black educator. And I will link to this specific thing, but she wrote something um, back in 2020 and she called it uh, with love letters to my fellow white music colleagues. And um, our, our friend Missy Strong has done a whole interview with Jasmine on her podcast specifically about this letter and some of the things Jasmine talks about in this letter, but she mentions the spirituals thing as, as part of this letter. So kind of going down a rabbit hole of some really great things, and I'm going to link to this specific letter that Jasmine posted publicly on social media, as well as the podcast with Missy Strong and Jasmine Fripp and some of the other things she's talking about. But really going back to the general theme of if you're scheduling a choral concert, if you haven't already, or many of you probably have, but you know, if for some reason you did have that inkling to put the spiritual at the end of your concert, if you are doing a spiritual, um, the question is why? And then what context are you teaching that spiritual within to your students? And what meaning does that spiritual have within the overall arc of your concert. So just some things to think about for both elementary teachers as well as our secondary friends who might be listening who are programming their choral concerts for the spring. Excellent. So it's a great time of year to work smarter and not harder as we're resetting for January. So Tanya, do you have a little something? Um, yeah, it, this is just a tiny little reminder that, you know, we, we teach children, we teach children music. And if you want to make sure that the kids are receiving and, and doing a fine job in your music room, now is the time that we need to reconnect with them, not just musically, but also personally uh, within each classroom community, but also one-on-one -on -one with students. So it's a good time to put in an, a little extra uh, connection time, whether it's reading a book with kids right in front of you, taking time to meet and greet at the door, having conversations with kids one-on-one -on -one about what they're excited about for the rest of the school year. It's a really good time and a very appropriate time to really kind of up the ante on those relationships because, of course, we know it, it'll be paid back in spades. We want to make sure we're connecting with students because they will often forget what we taught them, but they won't forget how you made them feel. So just a little reminder, um, do something for yourself and the relationships in your life right now so that things are going smoothly going forward. Awesome. Awesome. 
And in our CODA section, we are going to be recommending some things that we've been enjoying probably outside of the classroom since we've been out a lot. Carrie, what have you been into? So I do this a lot. I'm recommending a book that I haven't finished, but I'm getting close. And uh, this has been a really quick read for me, which I don't read quickly. So that says something. Um, And it's also a big departure from the normal books that I read. So I'm reading a book called The Unhoneymooners by Christina Lauren. Um, This is definitely a rom-com type book, which is very different than the murder mystery type books I normally read. But that was purposeful. I mean, first of all, this book was given to me as a gift. But also I thought, well, this will just be a nice, light, fun read to start the year off with. And um, I've been reading it very quickly. And it's fun. It's silly. Um, You know, you don't have to think too hard about it. But it's just, um, I think it's just a fun little read and uh, yeah, light and it would be a great summer read, but um, I'm enjoying it right now. So I'll link to it in the show notes. Um, It tells the story of a girl whose sister is getting married and um, her sister's fiance's brother is someone she does not like um, in the times that they have met and in this wedding planning time. And, you know, as luck would have it, they end up going on their their respective siblings honeymoon together because the bride and groom get very sick and they can't go on their honeymoon and they don't want it to go to waste. So these two unlikely characters who really dislike each other or so they think end up on this honeymoon together and then all the hijinks that ensue along the way. No, hijinks? Really? Shocking. Shocking rom-com behavior, but it's super cute. It's just been a fun read and yeah, I've been enjoying it. Great. How about you, Tanya? I'm going to recommend another podcast and a specific episode. So I am a devotee of the podcast, The Happiness Lab Mm -hmm. uh, with Dr. Lori Santos, who is a happiness researcher. And this specific episode is called Stop Endlessly Chasing, quote, the next big thing in 2023. And it's just a really a delightful episode where she talks about how this is the beginning of a new year, but she also has a a guest on who has written a um, book called uh, Archibald's Next Big Thing. And it's a book that I managed to find used and ordered. It's a children's book, a board, not a board book, but a children's book with pictures and everything about this little chicken Archibald and how he's looking for the next big thing, but missing all these other wonderful things, smaller things that are happening. And it was just a really wonderful reminder for this time of year when everyone's tied up with all of these expectations of new year, new me, and all of these like now going forward, I'm going to be, have I have all these fantastic habits that I'm going to instill. And so it was just kind of a nice reminder to, stop and notice the little things instead of waiting for that next big thing. So happiness lab, great podcast. Nice. We've reached the double bar line. Thank you for listening to music teacher coffee talk. Our show notes can be found at music teacher coffee talk podcast.com. You can connect with us on Facebook and Instagram. Just look for music teacher coffee talk. If you enjoyed this show, please consider subscribing, rating, and leaving us a review on iTunes to help others find this podcast. And we always appreciate folks buying us a coffee, so look for that link on our show notes and on our Facebook page. In our next episode, we'll be talking about cultivating the joy of singing in the music room. Until next time, this is Tanya. And this is Carrie wishing you happy musicking. <laughs>